Welcome to the City Reach Baptist podcast. If you would like more information about the life of our church, please go to our website at cityreach.com.au or like us on Facebook. We hope you enjoy this message. Good morning, everybody. So lovely to see you here today. It's Sunday. The Lord Jesus Christ is risen from the dead. And all the people said, Amen. Amen. Isn't that great news? God has turned our history on its head. He has turned away hope. He has turned away death. He's raised from the dead. He's transformed everything about our lives through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's Sunday and the Lord Jesus Christ has risen. Praise his holy name. Have you watched the news lately? I hope you haven't watched too much. There's an election on. There's not much else on the news. There was an article about this dog. You may have seen it. This dog swam off the coast of Thailand some 217 kilometres out to sea. And there was an oil rig there with some oil rig workers on it. And fortunately for the dog, it was a calm day and they were able to see the dog in the water. He'd swum, we don't know how far, perhaps he'd fallen out of a boat, perhaps he'd swum from the coast, he may have been as good a swimmer as me. (laughs) An amazing story, I imagine he was on his last legs. The dog was rescued onto the platform and they said he was seriously dehydrated and uh, nearing death, but they were able to rescue him. They named him, as you'll see in the next slide, They gave him a name called Boonrod, which I believe is loosely translated to Survivor. He survived this incredible ordeal of being able to swim that far. He's been returned to Thailand. Um, He's been uh, cared for there and they're going to foster him out to some family. What a lucky dog, don't you think? I'm sure lucky dog are going to get him and put him in their next ad. The reality is that we are lucky too. Your creator and your God has sent his son to rescue you and me out of the sea of hopelessness and return us to where God intended us to be. This is the wonderful message of Easter. We are the most blessed people on the face of the earth. It's Sunday and Jesus Christ has risen from the dead. Easter is when we celebrate, obviously, the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's when we, as a community and as a a group of Christians and a church, we remind ourselves that Jesus has risen from the dead. Easter is a, a punctuation mark in history that shows Jesus is who he said he is. Easter is a demonstration of God's power. It's a demonstration of God's power to us as a world as a nation, as a community, but much more importantly than all that, it's a demonstration of God's power to change our lives, to change our now, to change our future in a heartbeat, personally. God is wanting to work powerfully in our lives. All the beautiful promises, all the precious promises that God has made from the very beginning of the Word of God as He began to reveal Himself to His creation, to us, are fulfilled in the Lord Jesus Christ. They culminate at the resurrection. It's a significant, the most significant event that as a world we have ever, ever encountered, never seen. The implications are far-reaching, are massive, are universal. So what does that mean for you and me? And how does Easter really speak into the complexity of our lives? 
We live our lives and our lives, we try to project that we're doing really well. We always try to project to people that we're doing better than we actually are. It's just like our default position. We go along with uh, aching loneliness and a sense of hopelessness, often with foreboding. We live with our dreams having been dashed and crushed many times. We suffer anxiety and we medicate ourselves to deal with our anxiety in a, a variety of ways. Alcohol, drugs, sport, sex, whatever we can find to medicate ourselves so that we can live in this daydream that somehow or other our lives one day are going to get better. Yes, they will get better because this is what Easter is all about. Easter is everything to us. It's hope for the hopeless. It's love for those who have not been loved. It is the power that touches the very core of our beings. It's God working in us and for us. Our suffering, is anybody here not yet suffered? Our suffering finds meaning in the resurrection. That's, that is unreal. The brokenness that so many of us carry. Our broken and hard bodies find hope and they find peace and they find a sense of purpose in the resurrection. Hope wins over despair because of the resurrection. In the world that we live in, the powerful crush the weak. But the hope that comes through the resurrection transforms that. Our lives have purpose because of the resurrection. This is how significant this day is. It's Sunday and Jesus has risen from the dead. Amen? Amen. The resurrection says that you matter to God individually. God cares about you. That he sent his son to die for you. That would be one thing. But praise God on the third day he rose again. And the implications for you personally are amazing. God cares about you, you matter to him. The resurrection said that God can change our lives. And I'm not just talking about heaven. God changes lives today by the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. This is the implication of the resurrection. We sit here with our brokenness, with our heartache, with our tiredness, with our fear, with our struggles, and God is saying through the resurrection, all of that can be subdued by him, all of that can be overtaken by him. All of that has meaning because of the resurrection. If there was no resurrections, we would be dead in our sins and our futures would be hopeless and our purpose would be futile and our suffering would be an utter insult on top of the pain that we already have. But he is risen. It's Sunday. Praise his holy name. The resurrection says, says that the greatest enemy of our soul is defeated. Hallelujah. Amen. Hallelujah. Death is defeated. We read this in God's word in 1 Corinthians 15. Oh, death, where is your victory? <laughs> oh, death, where is your sting? And because of the resurrection, God can stare into the face of that which has had it under our control for, from the garden. Death itself has hung over us. We grow up. In school, we have dreams and we have hopes and we, we suffer rejection and we find a little bit of love and we have dreams and hopes which many times are crushed. We get a job and we work hard to create a fence for our lives so that we can find that mysterious happiness that the world says that we deserve. 
Many times our lives are dashed, our loved ones are lost, our health is squandered, and we struggle through life. But praise God, we die. <laughs> That's a bit of a bummer, isn't it? You're just about to get your hand on the hope and the blessing that you've finally been stretching out for, and bang, you die a miserable death. But God has changed that through the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. 151,600 people die every day. 6,316 people die each hour. 105 people die every minute. Nearly two die each second. They're shocking stats if you let them sink into your life. Death is reigning over us. But Jesus Christ has an answer for that. The world, when they think about death, they're oftentimes prompted to ask a few questions and they come up with ideas and they think what death really means. And if I asked you what death really means and what awaits you when that time comes, and the incredible thing about death is it's very, very democratic. It doesn't choose between whether you're tall or short or whether you're educated or not educated, whether you live in a certain place or you don't live in a certain place. The death rate throughout the world is exactly the same in every single environment. It's one death per person. Some believe that when you die, there's nothing. You just stop and your body goes back into the ground. On the, on the news or on the late line this week, uh, they're going for eco-funerals and they feel that this is the best way to treat our world and then they'll bury you in a bag and chuck you under a tree and uh, you can go back to what you came from, which they do not associate with God at all. Some believe that we turn into ghosts and phantoms. You know that favourite movie, Girls, that you just like watch Ghost, where he comes back and... Uh, amazingly uh, is able to influence his girlfriend's life and uh, reveal himself to her. Some of us believe that we are reincarnated. There's this uh, theology or this belief that reincarnation, if you live a good life, uh, when you die, you come back as something better. There's two sides to that coin. If you don't live a good life, you come back as a cockroach <laughs> or some other vile little creature and you have to live like that and avoid People like my wife who hates cockroaches. She doesn't just go, ooh, ah, she goes for the cupboard and gets the fly spray and she doesn't just spray them, she drowns those little suckers. <laughs> she then scoops them up, takes them outside and flattens them out like they're about that big when she finishes with a cockroach. So reincarnation doesn't seem that exciting to me at all. Some believe that we just go into the universe as something special. We return back. To the, I went to a funeral recently with a... A son had lost a mother, a young mother, a very distinguished looking man, stood up in the platform to lead the service. He was dressed in a lovely suit. He had lovely, um, beautiful, shiny white hair. And my heart skipped a beat. Oh, this is going to be beautiful to hear the wisdom of an older man as he speaks about a life lived. I was going so well until he opened his mouth it was a tragedy to hear what he had to say. As he described this woman in such plain terms and then said that she is now the dewdrop on a rose. She is a star in the night sky. And he went on with all these other platitudes which are utterly meaningless and bring no hope to those that have more than half a brain. Christianity, on the other hand, proposes a startling claim. 
makes a startling claim that what you had before death, you will have after death. But it will be utterly transformed by the power of God. I didn't want to shock you with that. Some of you thought, oh my goodness, I hope I don't look like this when I come back. (laughs) But God is going to transform our bodies into something much, much, much better. You will go to paradise, which is not heaven, by the way. When you die, if the Lord doesn't come back today, if you happen to die like we all will at some stage, our heart will stop beating, our hands will go limp, and we will breathe our last breath. For those that love the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be transformed into his presence, into paradise. And when the Lord Jesus Christ returns for the rest of the saints, we will come with him. And our bodies will be raised up out of this earth and we will be reunited with our transformed bodies. I've often joked that in, the, in between time, while we're not in our own bodies, you go into a cupboard and you can choose one to wear around while you're with the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm going to get the one that looks like Arnold Schwarzenegger. <laughs> going to avoid the one that looks like this. <laughs> it's wonderful, wonderful news that God will return with us And this is his wonderful promise God has made and it all hinges on the resurrection. The Christian hope depends entirely upon the assumption that Jesus Christ died a physical death. Now hear that, a physical death that he vacated the grave. He was raised up by the power of God in the tomb and he simply walked out of that tomb. He didn't roll the stone back. This wonder of this incredible new dimension of Christ's raised body was his ability to be able to walk through doors and walls. And, and yet he was fully human. That same body that we know of as we read the scriptures. He ascended into heaven. And he's seated at the right hand of our Father at this very moment in bodily form. The implications for us are amazing and just thrilling. This will be our experience as well. This is the hope that we get from the resurrection. Don't we all need lasting hope in our lives? Is there anybody that woke up this morning and thought to themselves, I just want to live a miserable, hopeless, hate-filled life? You may have looked at your partner and thought they bring that to your life. Nobody does that because we all want to hope. And God offers that through the resurrection. Don't we want our lives to have purpose? I remember as a younger man thinking to myself, I don't have any purpose in my life. I have health, I'm young, I'm strong. But when I met those people who knew God, I thought, man, those people have purpose. And now I know why, as I have met him as well. We want our lives to be full of peace in this broken world. And God made it for us to have all of this. He made it for our bodies not to age. He made us to be with him. He made us so that there would be no more tears. He made it so that there would be no more death. His desire for us is that our lives would be one of hope and one filled with joy, a life where we were with him and enjoying him. And then we mucked it up. We learn from God's word that in the Garden of Eden, the first federal head of humanity disobeyed God. And this is the result that we live with every day. As sin not only impacted our human selves, our our nature and our spirit and our being in every aspect, but it affected also the environment that we live in today. 
Everything is suffering under the weight of our disobedience and our separation from the living God. We end up living purposeless lives. We live lives that are broken and full of heartache because of our sin, and yet God has an answer for this too. And sin at its worst brought death to us, that same blanket that is over us now, that same death that takes millions and millions of people every year on this earth. Come with me for a minute. Just come with me for a few minutes. It'll be up on the screen for you as well. I want you to come into the Word of God and I want you to see God's power over death. I want you to see it afresh today. Don't miss the message that you can have this power in your life today. Don't miss the implication that God changes everything, not for tomorrow, but for today as well. And you can have that power in your life. No one was expecting the Lord Jesus Christ to rise from the dead. If you read the narrative of the resurrection, you'll see that there was not one person who was thinking that Jesus, certainly not the soldiers, those hardened, hardworking men who had hung hundreds and thousands of people on crosses, who had taken down dead body after dead body, they knew a dead body from a mile away. The soldiers that went up to Jesus and speared his side and blood and water rang out and they knew that he was dead. And they took his lifeless body down off that cross and they gave it to Joseph of Arimathea and they buried his body in a tomb. The only thing that the soldiers were worried about was those annoying disciples that they might come and steal the body. The Pharisees were worried about them as well. They thought that the disciples would organise to steal the body out of the cave, to roll a stone back and take Jesus out and to hide his body and then claim that he rose from the dead. That's a bit of a dumb thing to think. It's what they thought in the first century. Have a look in your Bibles or I'll have on the screen for you in Matthew chapter 7, 27 rather, and verse 64, and therefore an order... Therefore, order the tomb to be made secure. The Pharisees and the Romans agreed to do this until the third day, lest those disciples go and steal him away and tell the people that he has risen from the dead. And the, the last fraud, according to them, would be worse than the first. But really, think about it for a minute. Peter started to follow Jesus towards the cross. He's, he's such a bold disciple, such a beautiful man. And yet even he began to find it difficult to follow him all the way and ended up denying that he even knew him and then ran away in embarrassment and shame. John, the beloved disciple, he followed Jesus all the way to the cross. But there's no account, there's no record in God's word that even John thought that Jesus would raise from the dead. He simply cared for and comforted Mary. The disciples as a whole were not expecting Jesus to rise and nor were they going to go to the tomb because they were hiding in closets and cupboards and under beds, terrified that there was a cross with their name on it. Nobody was going to try and steal the body. They were dead scared that they were going to lose their miserable little lives. Mary, the two Marys, they didn't think for a minute that Jesus was going to raise from the dead. In fact, they had got together spices and balms and they were going, as we read in the account in chapter 28, they were on their way not to see him risen, but to embalm his dead body. But it's Sunday and Jesus is risen from the dead. 
have a look at the account for this beautiful, beautiful miracle. Chapter 28, I'm just going to take you down to verse 6. And now after the Sabbath, toward the dawn of the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary went to see the tomb and behold, there was a great earthquake for the angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and came and rolled back the stone and sat on it. His appearance was like lightning and his clothing as white as snow. And for fear of him, the guards trembled and became like dead men. But the angel said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you seek Jesus who was crucified. He is not here. Hallelujah. For he has risen. And he said, Come and see the place where he once laid. Jesus has risen from the dead. An amazing word, this word, risen from the dead. The word means to exactly that, to be able to be awakened and to be raised up. It's a, it's a powerful, powerful story when we look at this. As Mary came, the both the Marys came, and as they were coming towards the tomb, the ground began to shake and the stones began to tumble. I imagine they had trouble finding their feet. And to their amazement, they saw an angel, not standing on guard, but actually sitting on top of the rock, sitting on top of the rock that once closed the tomb. That's pretty cool. I didn't know angels did that. He just thought, I'll take a seat and wait for Mary to arrive. Maybe he folded his legs, probably whistled a while. Well, we don't know that. It doesn't say that in the scriptures. One very, very relaxed angel. The Lord had risen from the dead. Stone was rolled back. The appearance of the angel was awe-inspiring. It was so awe-inspiring and terrifying that these trained soldiers were like dead men on the ground, completely overwhelmed with fear. It's fairly ironic when you think about it. Here they were, men who looked dead, who were supposed to be looking after a dead man's corpse, now were looking like dead men themselves, and the corpse has disappeared. God had done a wonderful, wonderful miracle. And then the angel says to the woman, do not be afraid, Jesus, whom was crucified, is not here, for he has risen. And this word, he has risen, is egathe in the original language. It means to have been awakened. It's not something you expect in a cemetery. Carol and I often walk through the cemetery at Enfield. It's a beautiful place, biggest rose garden in Adelaide. And it's not a place where you think about people being awake. It's where you see people having, as they often say on their stones, resting in peace, asleep. But not our Lord Jesus Christ. He has been awakened. Now this is either the cruelest hoax ever played on humanity or it is the most magnificent truth. Jesus has been risen from the dead. And what it means, Agathe, and when it says that he has been awakened, it's not saying that he was sleeping. He had one of those rest of it tablets before he went to the cross and he just felt completely knocked out and couldn't wake up. No, that's not what it means. It does not mean that he was slumbering. It does not mean that he was in a stupor. It does not mean that he was confused. It means that he was raised up from death. Not spiritually. Not as a, a phantom. Not as a ghost. Not as a, a, a force. But he was raised physically from the dead. And the implications for us are amazing. And I know that he was raised 
physically from the dead because we, as we read the scriptures, we see Jesus Christ in full bodily form interacting with people. The two men on the road to Emmaus, they saw Jesus. They didn't think he was a phantom or a ghost. They invited him home for a meal. And as he ate with them, their eyes were open and they saw Jesus Christ eating with them in full bodily form. Paul, the apostle, tells us that over 500 people saw Jesus over the 40 days before he went to the Father. Not a phantom, not a ghost, but raised in the same body that he died in, but in a glorified state. So authoritative is 1 Corinthians in terms of the witnesses, only written 20 years after the event of the resurrection. People who actually witnessed the resurrection could actually be spoken to. You could go 20 years later and talk to people who'd actually seen the Saviour risen from the dead. Incredible evidence. Thomas, do you remember Thomas, doubting Thomas? When Thomas saw the Lord Jesus Christ, he had this resurrected body, which was his same body that he died in, and yet he was able to eat and touch people and hug them, and they were able to touch his feet and worship him. He was able to break bread with his hand, but at the same time, he was able to walk through walls. That's pretty cool, isn't it? I can't wait for that. That's just the people that I'm going to be able to freak out doing that. He came to Thomas and said, Thomas, come and touch my hand. Put out his hand and the, he could see the nail wound in his hand still. And he was able to, t- his hand didn't like pass through it. It was a real hand. It was the hand of our Saviour. He opened his side and said, Thomas, touch the side where I was speared. And Thomas's hand didn't pass through me like if some sort of ghost. This was the body of Jesus, glorified and resurrected. This is amazing because this applies to you and me as well. When Mary saw him, do you remember when Mary saw him? What did Mary think? He's a ghost? She thought he was a gardener. <laughs> I imagine she didn't expect to see Jesus risen. She saw him as a gardener because he'd been risen in bodily form. We read this in Luke chapter 24, 39. See my hands and my feet, that is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. The implication is, Jesus Christ is not some memory, not some spirit, not some ghost, not like the religious leaders of all these other faiths that claim to have power over death, but they do not because their graves are still with us today. We can go and see where they were buried and if we were able to, we could dig their bones up. But you can't do that with Jesus because he has been bodily raised and he's seated with the right hand of the Father in heaven. Hallelujah. And what this means is that Jesus Christ is right now in the same body that he was as he walked amongst us in heaven, right at this very moment, seated in the holiest place in the universe. He is ruling over the affairs of history. And the wonderful promises is what God did with his grave, he will do with your grave. Hallelujah. If you know him as your Lord and Saviour, God will do with your grave the same as he did with the Lord Jesus Christ's grave. He will raise you up bodily. Isn't that great news? What God did for his body, he will do with yours. He will resurrect you in a new and glorified body. What a wonderful, wonderful promise for us. 
Jesus says this in John. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life, having raised Lazarus from the dead. Whoever believes in me, whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, though he die, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. And do you believe this? Do you believe this? You shall never die. You will take your last breath here on the face of the earth. Your heart will stop beating. Your hands will fall limp. And you will pass into the presence of the living God. Hallelujah. Because Jesus Christ has demonstrated this to you through his resurrection. And then he offers this promise to you that if you believe in me, you shall never die. We can defeat so many things, but there's no one that's ever defeated death except for the Lord Jesus Christ. You don't have to do life alone. You don't have to live a life that is purposeless. You don't have to struggle with why am I suffering the way I am. You don't have to do life alone. But much more importantly, you don't have to do death alone. You don't have to do death alone. Because Jesus Christ has promised to resurrect you from the grave. He says to you this morning, come to me all you who are weary and burdened. Man, and doesn't the middle of the year make you feel weary and burdened? And I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and humble in heart. And I will give you rest. I will give you rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. So you don't have to go through this world on your own. You don't have to be out in the ocean, swimming along, looking at the horizon, beginning to run out of breath and thinking to yourself, how am I ever going to make it? You don't have to live a life like that. Today, the power of God is available to you. If you will humble yourself before him and call upon his name, he will save you. Would you are you ready to humble yourself? Are you ready to believe? Would you stand with me and I'd like to lead you in a prayer. I'd like to invite the music team to come forward. If you've never prayed before and you would like to ask Christ to forgive you and you'd like to invite him into your life, you have that opportunity this morning to experience the resurrection power of the Lord Jesus Christ here today. Isn't that wonderful? Those of us who have been struggling in our walk with the Lord, come back to him again. Bring your burden to him. He will freely take it from you. Let's pray together. He changes everything. Father in heaven, we say thank you for the Lord Jesus. We thank you for his death. But much more, we thank you for his resurrection. We thank you for not abandoning us. Thank you for rescuing us. Thank you for your forgiveness. Thank you that nothing is too difficult for you. I humble myself before you. And I ask you to forgive me for my sin. I invite you to be my Lord and my Saviour. I invite you to take control of my life. I invite you into every area of my life, into my brokenness, into my joys, into my dreams, into my expectations. I invite you into my heart. I thank you for your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' name, amen.